All right, this morning we're on the second week of our six-week series on cultivating a relationship with God. And so we want to uh, look in this class and have a biblical understanding of, of how we can, on a daily basis, equip ourselves to relate with God. And so we've started out with two assumptions. First, that it's possible to cultivate a relationship with God. And second, that we should do it. So we can cultivate a relationship and we should. And last week we tried to address that first assumption. And this week I want to look at why we should. Um, If we can, and we can on the basis of Jesus Christ, um, then why should we? What's so important about it? So... Um, some people say that we should only go to God when we have a big question. You know, we should only read the Bible when there's a pressing issue or there's something that's that's perplexing us. Um, maybe there's a, a specific need that we have right in front of us, like a new job or some kind of crisis that's taking place. You know, or or we should only go to church when when we're kind of lonely. But this is no way to treat the King of creation, is it? The God who made us and who worked hard in order for us to come into a relationship with Him. And so we want to look this morning at least five reasons why we should meet with God. Uh, looks like six there. So first, we should meet with God because He is worthy. Because He is worthy. He has created the world. He has created created us. He has worked to um, to give us a way in order for us to come to Him. So we have here the holy God who is worthy of all praise and demands perfect holiness for all those who are who come into his presence and yet we are sinful and God has uh, has provided a way for us through his mercy and grace for us to come to him. So we should come to him first because he is worthy, second because he owns us, because we are um we are owned by him, you could say. Okay, we are we are bought by Him. We are His children. Let's turn to Galatians 4. Galatians 4, 4 and most important thing in in your uh, uh the most important thing about regarding your identity is not some position that you hold or or something like that but the most important thing with regard to your identity is that you are adopted uh by God that he owns you so would someone read verses 4 and 5 Galatians 4 All right, so when the fullness of time came, God sent us forth the Son. This is a great act of God in which he, he gave up his, his, uh, this sweet relationship that he had with his Son. And he did it in order to, verse 5, so that he might redeem us to be adopted as sons, so that he would enter, enter into a relationship with us, so that he could cultivate a relationship with us. And um, so 
so we should cultivate a relationship with God because he's part of our family. He is the father of our family, right? When we have Thanksgiving dinner with family, do we go to the dinner with, with our family just because we're hungry or simply because we need something to eat? Is that the primary reason that we go to Thanksgiving dinner? Well, that's part of it, but we could get something to eat. If that were the only reason, then we could get something to eat somewhere else, right? At a restaurant or, or just eat at the kitchen counter. But we go around the Thanksgiving dinner table with our family because that's what families do. And in the same way, we cultivate a relationship with God because that is part of our identity. That is our identity, that He is our owner. He is our master. He is our father. He owns us. Number three, we should cultivate a relationship with God because it leads us into a deeper relationship with Him. It leads us into a deeper relationship with Him. So turn over now to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. Notice how concerned Paul is here about about delving into or or developing a deeper relationship with God. Let someone read verses 7 through 10. Whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them but rubbish, so that I may gain Christ. And may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. All right, and then he goes on to say, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. But, but notice that verse 8, more than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ. He wants to come into a greater knowledge of Christ. Now, he's already a believer here, but he wants to know Christ more. Verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering. So, Paul here is willing to to shun all the things of the world and go to God in order to develop this deeper relationship with God. So, God is not you know, an academic topic that we study. You know, we don't just come and say, well, I want to learn more about the topic of God. But, but rather, God is a person to be known. He's a person with whom we enter into a relationship. And we want to deepen that relationship throughout our lives. That's why we want to cultivate this relationship with God. Number four, when we begin to know God in these intimate ways and our relationship with Him grows, this leads us to worship Him. This leads us to worship Him. So why do we want to cultivate a relationship with God? Number four, because it leads us to worship Him. Turn back to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, passage that we are closing in on pretty quickly here the next couple of weeks on Sunday morning. Romans 11:33 through 36. Knowing God and knowing who we are in light of Him and how He acts in the world goes along with what Paul says here. He, he's starting to understand or at least express, he, he already understands it if he's writing it, but 
He's, he's understanding more of the clarity of the gospel and why God sent Jesus Christ, why he determined to choose Jews and Gentiles to be a part of his family. And here's how he responds when he just reacts that God has not put, he's not set aside Israel forever. He has kept them. He, he has preserved them. He is going to pursue them. And here's his response in verses 33 to 36. So I'm going to read that for us. So as Paul comes to know God more, verse 33, he knows more about the depth and the wisdom of the knowledge of God, how great God is as he starts to see God for who he is more clearly. It leads him naturally to worship him. And so this here is is really a doxology, a doxology which is a praise to God. He's saying, oh, the, the, the depth and the riches and the wisdom of God. I know about this and now as a result I want to praise God for his wisdom and his power. And really, that's the purpose of all things is to know God and to glorify Him. Verse 36, for from Him, from God, and through God, and to God are all things. And to Him belong the glory forever. All right, two more, and then I'll see if you have any questions. Number five, cultivating a relationship with God also helps us to grow. It helps us grow. We are not meant to live in spiritual stagnation. We're not meant to just continue on in spiritual infancy. God intends for us to grow. Uh, this is clear, I think, in Ephesians 2.10, which says, you know, 2.8.9, you know, is for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one will boast. But then the very next verse says, for we, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in him. So God expects that not, we're not just saved from an eternal hell, but that he will save us to grow, that we should grow in our relationship with him. Um, and then the other one that comes to mind is Second Peter 1. Uh, Paul gives this list. For this reason, applying all diligence, verse 5, this is Second Peter 1, 5, all, applying all diligence in your faith, supply moral excellence to your moral excellence, knowledge to your knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. He goes through this list. And then he says in verse 8, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing. So do you see how he expects for us not just to have these qualities, but to increase in these qualities? If you have these and they are increasing, then you will be neither useless nor unfruitful in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these qualities is blind and short-sighted into having forgotten his purification from his former sins. And so, verse 10, be all the more diligent to make certain your calling and choosing. So he's saying, listen, you struggle with, with the, the reality of your uh, security in God, then here's one of the ways that you... Um, that you that you have assurance of your salvation is as you're growing in these qualities, so that you're not short-sighted. That's why we need to be diligent in deepening our relationship with God. J.C. Ryle in his book 
from 1879 called Holiness says, it is intimately and inseparably connected with the whole question of sanctification. He's talking about growth or holiness. It's a leading mark of true saints that they grow. A leading mark of true saints that they grow. That we don't wallow or go back uh, into our former sins, but we grow. He quotes uh, another quotation from his book is, Private religion must receive our first attention if we wish our souls to grow. See, Ryle knows something that I think we all ought to recognize, and that is that as Christians we are kind of like leaky buckets. That, that without cultivating a relationship with God, we get stuck in our sins and, and all of the holiness that we worked to build up is spilled out. We need to keep building. We need to keep pouring on into the bucket this uh, truth of God's holiness and our pursuit of it. It's true that, that though we are saved, uh, we will struggle with our flesh and with the devil, as Ephesians 6 says. And so we are required to cultivate a relationship with him to fight to, with God that is to, to fight with against sin and to cling to Christ and so cultivating relationship with God helps us to remember <clears throat> that that we were not made for this world but but that we are made for the next world and that that this process of growth sh- will result in in uh, really who we will be in the next life We'll all be part of God's family, but we'll have a greater capacity, I believe, for growth and for service in the next life, uh, depending on how we we do in this life. All right, then uh, number six. Number six, cultivating a relationship with God helps us fight, helps us to fight. In Matthew 10:22, Jesus says that those who persevere to the end will be saved. So in Hebrews, throughout the book, it's told to believers, hey, you need to, you need to persevere, you need to continue on, you need to hold your ground, you need to stand fast. Um, and so this call to persevere in the midst of a world of sin and tragedy uh, is required of us. And how are we going to do that? How are we going to persevere when all of the forces of Satan are opposed to us? He himself is opposed to us, right? He is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is opposed to us. The world is opposed to us, right? The world system over which he has rule that he has called in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, I think it is, he is the God, small g, of this world, that he blinds the minds of unbelievers and he sets out to, to, um, to turn us away from God. So we have Satan himself, the world, and then our own flesh is against us, isn't it? That our flesh wars against our soul. And, and it wants to see us lose. It wants to see us be defeated. And so how are we going to fight if we have these forces against us, which on our own power we can't fight? And the truth is, is that we will not persevere to the end if we do not cultivate a relationship with God in His Word. Um trying to think of the verse in Hebrews uh, where he says, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Without sanctification, without this growth, without cultivating a relationship with God, no one will see the kingdom of God. I think it's Hebrews 13. Someone finds that, let us know. Jesus prayed for us in this way when he prayed in John 17. He says, sanctify them, grow them, 
cultivate a relationship with them so that they grow in truth because your word is truth. Our sanctification is contingent upon God's very words. Twelve fourteen. Okay, thank you. So, if you want to write that one down, um, pursue peace, peace with all men, and without sanctification, without growth in godliness, without perseverance, no one will see the Lord. All right. So, when you're fighting against that sin, this is a verse that that often comes to my mind. You know, when when the sin is when this temptation comes and and it's fierce and and it's something that obviously I want. That's what temptation is. Um, this is a good verse to come to mind so I don't keep going back to that and say, you know what, what about that temptation that was held out there for me? You know, without holiness, no one will see the Lord. I'm not going to, to engage in that sort of sin because I know that God expects of me growth. All right, any questions on, on these first six before we summarize this and move on? Matthew 10:22 Anyone else? All right, so we we are in a fight. We need to learn how to fight. And that's why, you know, in Ephesians 6, Paul says take on the armor of God. Put on the whole armor of God so that you're able to stand fast. Uh, this is a real spiritual battle that's going on. Our, our battle is not against individuals. It's not against people who are flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places, and we need to fight. We can't just kind of lay down and expect there to be victory. God expects us to fight. Let's turn over to Hebrews chapter 4 here. See this message of encouragement for us. That, that cultivating a relationship with God is worthwhile. It, it is worthy of our efforts. It is worthy of what Paul says, you know, that I beat my body and I make it a slave in order that I may, um, that I may grow in Christ effectively. Um, so it is worthwhile. Here, look at Hebrews 4, verse 12. Someone read that for us. Okay, what does this verse start with? Okay, how about before that? Four, the word four. So that points us back to, this is not a standalone, we tend to learn this. In fact, I learned it when I was in Awana growing up, but 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 it points back to something. And this verse is surrounded both before and behind by talking about not hardening our hearts. That we need to persevere and heed or listen to, obey God's word. And and the point here is this, that we can't heed God's word unless we know it and listen to it. It's not going to pierce to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit if we are resisting it. That the word is this word that leads to, to faith and it helps us as Christians to guard against this hardening process. And so it's a the word, Hebrews 4.12 is a message of encouragement for Christians to persevere. It's a message for Christians to persevere. 
So in the context, uh, the, the authors here is talking about not hardening our hearts and listening to God's word. And then he says, listen, the word of God is living and active and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. So, so the point is, is that if we want to persevere, if we want to grow in godliness, if we want to pursue holiness all the way until the end, the key is the, the, um, the source of that is going to come from the word. For the word of God is living. So how do we harden? How do we keep from hardening our hearts? We need to go to the Word of God. All right. Next, how do we meet with God? So, so we we are saying that we should meet with God. We can meet with God. We saw last week. This week, we we should. So how do we do it? How do we do it? Um, if we're able to do so, and we are, then how do we do it? Let me give you. I think I have five ways here. It's like four, okay? First, we meet with God through Jesus Christ by faith. Through Jesus Christ by faith. So you're here in Hebrews 4, and would someone read verses 14 to 16? All right, so <clears throat> here we have a, a command or exhortation in verse 14 to hold fast our confession. And we know that we can do that um, by, verse 16, drawing near with confidence so that we may receive mercy. And the way that we do that is through Christ, verse 14, that we have this one who is our mediator. You know, when, when um, Job was, was, um, was being um, persecuted by Satan, uh, he, he said... Who is an umpire who can go between you, God, and me? I mean, who is there who can stand between you, the the, the divine creator, and me, who's a man? Who, who's the one who can really be a good arbitrator? And the answer to that really comes in the New Testament when, it, when we find that there is one mediator between God and man. It is Christ Jesus because he is both God and man. He perfectly represents who God is, and he perfectly understands who man is, and so he makes the perfect representative in that way. And so um, we have that. And through Christ, by faith, we can, relation, we, we can cultivate a relationship with God. We go to God by faith in His Son, having confidence that through Him, as our perfect substitution, we can have access, even though we are sinners. And this happens initially in salvation, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It's by grace that you've been saved uh, by faith. Um, and that it's through Jesus Christ. So this happens initially at salvation, but this cultivation continues. This possibility that we can and should meet with God happens through Jesus Christ by faith. Secondly, we meet with God through Scripture. We meet with God through Scripture. What we mean by that is is that the Scripture is... The written word of God. It's a collection of 66 books that t- together tell the story of how God had 
um, created mankind, mankind turned away from God, and then God worked from the very time of his sin all the way he w- till now and continuing on until the end when he will work to, to cultivate a relationship with, with man. That he says, I will be your God to Israel. You know, I will be your God and you will be my people. And he will say that in the end. In Revelation, we have that same phrase. That now I am your God and you are my people. I have, crea- I have made the way possible that even though I am completely holy and cannot stand any sort of sin or uncleanness, that I've made the way possible for you to come to me. And so we cultivate a relationship with God through Scripture. Second Timothy 3:16 and 17 say that all Scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And so... Uh, God's Word is something that penetrates into the deepest recesses of our hearts as we obey it, uh, as we saw in Hebrews 4. But it also is something that's useful for us. So no matter what kind of trouble we have, whether it's corrective instruction or, um, or rebuke that we need, the, the Scriptures are helpful, or if it's in uh, preventative types of measures where we, we just have teaching and, and training, and that's, that's a good thing. The Scriptures provide for us in all those ways. The truth is that it's not enough for us to live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so part of cultivating a relationship with God is knowing His Word. And that sounds very academic at times. You know, why do I need to really take time out of my busy schedule in order to read the Scriptures? But this is how we cultivate a relationship with God. And it's not simply just by, okay, I've, I've got the reading schedule for this year, I read my two chapters, and I'm done for the day. But, but it, it involves more than that. It involves meditation. Right? Psalm 119 says that your word I have treasured in my heart that I might not sin against you. So, again, back to the fighting issue. How do we fight against sin? Well, we need to treasure God's word in our hearts. And then later in Psalm 119, verses 15 and 16, I will meditate on your precepts and regard your ways. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall not forget your word. And so getting into the word involves pouring over it, thinking about it, allowing it to to fill up our thoughts throughout the day. That's one of the great values of starting your day with reading the scriptures, is that it's something that you can meditate on throughout the day. And that requires an active um, an active thought process on your part you can't just say well you know if it comes up again then i'll i'll think about it sometimes god works that way and and brings it back to mind in a given situation but but we need to actively be thinking about god's word and that means we must meditate on it meditate on the truth of who god is and the truth of who we are in light of him and what he expects of us any questions on those first two yes Yeah, verse 11 and then verses 15 and 16. Um, Trying to figure out your blank here. Scripture that speaks of itself is the blank there, itself. So Jesus says, can't live by bread alone, but by every word. So in other words, in order for us to understand what the word is about and its purpose, we go to the word itself and it 
it tells us. All right, thirdly, we meet with God through prayer. So we meet with God through Christ by faith, through the Word or through the Scriptures, and then through prayer. Let's turn over to Ephesians. Ephesians 6, we've already alluded to this passage once about the the armor of God. And notice that all these things need to be done through prayer. Verses 17 and 18. Well, verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the full armor of God and then so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. Okay, again, how we fight in this battle of the Christian life is through knowing the Word, putting on the armor of God. And then, verse 17, he lists several of the pieces of equipment. And then he says, verse 17, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, with all prayer and petition, praying at all times in the Spirit. So I think what Paul's doing here is he's saying, that your prayer, that all of these putting on of the various pieces of armor, they all expect that you will do it with prayer. And that's why he says, pray at all times in the Spirit and with this in view. So um, how do we cultivate a relationship with God? How do we meet with God? We do it through the Word that's bathed in prayer. That in prayer we bring our requests to the Lord and and through Christ He hears us and answers our prayers so that, so that we can come to Him and that He can help us to, to overcome these challenges that we are facing. That this prayer is not just, a, um, it's not just a, um, some kind of exercise that we just go through. And if we, if we magically wave this wand of prayer over our situation, God's going to correct it. That's not the idea. But it's part of cultivating this relationship with God. That, that we're saying, God, not only am I listening to you speak, but I'm speaking to you. I'm sharing with you. That's part of a relationship, isn't it? That there's communication that goes on both ways. What kind of relationship would you have with the person that, to whom you're closest if you never talk to them? They only talk to you. Um, not very deep relationship at all. And so this needs to happen with us and God also. God commands us to pray and He expects that we bathe all of our thoughts and um, sorry I'm having some trouble here yeah yeah that's me sorry about that can you turn that that uh, speaker off in the hallway all right sorry about that just keep making sure you guys are awake so we we pray um, in all things. In verse 18, with all prayer and petition, praying at all times in the Spirit. All right, number four. Um, we meet with God by coming together with the people of God. We could say it this way. We, meet with, we, we cultivate a relationship with God. We meet with God by meeting with His people. Now, meeting together uh, in a, uh, a church setting is not the focus of this class, but I think it's an important way in which God meets with His people. That as we come to Him uh, in worship, that we do it together. That, that yes, we are saved individually, but we're not saved to stay individuals. 
but rather that God desires and demands that we enter into a relationship with other believers. And so we'll talk a little bit more about this as we talk about how to hear God's Word preached. But, but what we need to see here is that we should meet with God's people. Um, let's see, it looks like i got a fifth one for you. So I don't have a blank for you on that one. You have to make your own room for that. Fifthly, we meet with God by spending time with Him each day. By spending time with Him each day. Jesus would often take time to go away into a solitary place to pray. And uh, sometimes as Christians we can get so caught up in activity and, um, and doing things that we forget to meet with God or we don't think it's that important. And yet Jesus, who had the most important ministry of any person who's ever lived, he had all these people that were ready and waiting for him to, to work on their behalf, right? That, that he had all these people who were wanting him to heal them and to teach them. And we could say, well, Jesus, your ministry is that important. So, um, you know, as his popularity grows, he's more and more being pressed in by the crowd. And it's harder for him to get away, but he still makes time. In fact, one of the early um, parts of his public ministry, uh, all the people were waiting for him, and Simon's looking for him in Mark, one of the early chapters of Mark's gospel. And, and he says, Jesus, where were you? These people are waiting for you. You know, why are you gone? And apparently what Jesus had done is in the early hours of the day had gotten away in order to spend some time with his father. And if Christ needed to do that, who is God, how much more... Do we need to do that each day to to cultivate this relationship with God, to make sure that we are on uh, the same page with God, that we would think God's thoughts after him and speak to him about what is is um, is troubling us, what what is on the agenda for the day. So let me leave you with a definition of quiet time that, that I hope will, will be helpful. Quiet time is a part of the day that we set aside for the worship of God, for the reading of God's word, and for fellowship with God so that we would know Him more, know ourselves in light of Him, and know the world according to God's perspective. Haven't you found it the case to be when you've had some time in which you've allowed your mind to settle in the morning and think about actually what you're reading, not just buzz through it and hurry up and list off everything on your prayers, but when you've actually had time to think and consider and to meditate on these things that you've found that you understand a little bit more of who God is, that you appreciate more of His grace in your life, you understand a little bit more about your sin and the reality of the battle that there is in the Christian life, and you also know a little bit more about the world. And that's what our time alone with God ought to do. It should recalibrate our perspective. Because you realize that that whenever you're not spending time with God, the world is is influencing your decision-making, your thought process, how you think about things. So when you're not spending time with God, when you're not meditating on His Word, when you're not meeting with God's people, then you're actually being influenced by the thoughts of the world. And and those things can corrupt your mind and you need to be able to recalibrate. You need to have a time, I need to have a time, in which I can recalibrate my mind back to what God expects me to be thinking. And the way that we do that is by understanding His Word more. The purpose of quiet time is, is essentially the same as what Calvin said in his opening lines of his 
his great work, the Institutes. He said, Our wisdom, insofar as it ought to be deemed true and solid wisdom, consists almost entirely of two parts, the knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. And how is it that we know ourselves? How is it that we know God more? And the answer is by cultivating relationship with Him by faith, through His Word, through this, through the um, Scriptures, through prayer, and through meeting with His people. All right, any questions? All right. Well, we're going to be done a little bit early, but uh, let me pray and be dismissed. Father, again, we are um, amazed at your grace and that you would choose to meet with us and we want to to do our part to cultivate this relationship with you, Lord. The, the dangers that are out there um, are, are real and the battles that we face are, are real. They are spiritual in nature and they affect the ascription of glory to your name and we want to be actively engaged in the battle, doing our part to, to stand on your side and to speak on your behalf and to think properly about you and about ourselves. And Lord, we pray that you'd help us not to give in or resist um, during this time, which is so critical each day in which we spend time with you. Help us to, to see that, that that is the most important part of our day and to take it very seriously and to meditate on your word throughout the day. We pray for your help in Jesus' name.